You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Well, hello, Michelle. Hey, good morning. Nice to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Michelle, for those that don't know you, haven't seen you online, tell us your name. Give us a little introduction of what's going on hot right now. Give me my sound bite, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, hi, everybody. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. My name is Michelle Berto. I'm a former television news anchor, and now I teach executives how to look good and sound good on camera. And I have fallen into the healthcare space. I've been working with a lot of pharmacists as of late, and it's a joy to get to know your world, your language, and help you build a video library that you love. It's a different language, isn't it? It really is. Um, you know, it's interesting because as you come into your world as an outsider, there are so many acronyms, right? And so many different points of view about patient outliers and medication adherence. And you have to take a step back and a little bit of a breath to say, okay, let me think about this medication adherence. Obviously, that means X, Y, Z. Um, yeah. what, but what do patients really want to know? What do they really want, want to know about you as right. the pharmacist? And that's really my sweet spot. Yeah, right. And then I, I, of course, will combine that with the world that you're in. Michelle, how many other fields are you in besides pharmacy? You know what I mean? Like, do you specialize in any other ones like car sales or something like that? How many different languages do you have to know? You know, it's interesting you say it like that. How many different languages do I need to speak? Because I actually said this years ago, I spent um, 15 years as a news anchor across different markets for CBS, Fox News, NBC, etc. And uh, I once said to a colleague of mine, every morning, we need to be absolutely 100% speaking the same verbiage as yeah. so many different industries. So you're right. One day I'm talking to a person who owns a car dealership and I'm talking yeah. about entrepreneurship. Another time I'm talking about uh, sociology and how do we change the income status of people to bring more programs in and where's that money coming from to fund yeah. that. It's, it's amazing. But to answer your question, I do a lot of work in politics. Okay. Um, I do a lot of work in healthcare. And manufacturing. And manufacturing. Which are all totally different. (laughs) They cross, of course, because if you think about those three things would certainly be probably the top three things you would have to know if you were talking to a drug company or something who's manufacturing things and has to get a clearance from the government or something like that. So once in a while, you hit probably that perfect trifecta of interviews and so on. You know, I think that there are so many similarities to what I have built yeah. as what I used to do. So, you know, when it comes to pharmacists, I yeah. still write scripts and I still go through the editing process to make sure it's as right. clear, concise, and conversational as possible. So I'm still being creative that way. I'm still using all of my storytelling skills on how to take what I've done yeah. for 15 years every single day and use that skill set to create the stories that really matter. So instead of being on the crime beat or the education beat, I am helping people in healthcare tell their stories so that they have a point of differentiation. Yeah. You know, it sounds to me like you're putting your psychology degree from uh, New Jersey to use. Mike, kudos to you. You did your homework. Why psychology before getting your master's in broadcasting? So that's a great question. So everything I do in retrospect is is based on my love for people. So I can tell that. I, I've, I've always been that student that went above and beyond. I loved being a student. I love learning. I still love learning. I still love the energy in a classroom. To that end, I wanted to impact people. And I took that psychology degree and instead of opening up my own practice, which was originally, I was like, I'm going to go straight through, I'm going to get my PhD and I'm going to open up my own practice and I'm going to help people. Uh, I, I took that desire and instead of helping one person at a time, I chose to help the masses at a time. And I thought the best venue 
to fulfill that dream was in broadcast journalism. Yeah. And that's when I finished my psychology degree. It was after an internship I did at Walt Disney World. That was my senior year. So my senior year of college, I was a, a college intern at Disney World and I came back and after seeing how a large company affects change and happiness in the world, right. it made me switch course. Yeah. Um, and then when I decided to get my master's in broadcasting, I interned at Good Morning America um, and CBS locally in Miami. And after doing that, it was just, for me, I knew that I was in the right place at the right time. It, 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 and there was no stopping me. There was a time, Mike, that I had eight different addresses in five years. Is that because right? in broadcasting, you have to keep moving around and moving around and getting to the next opportunity. Because when you think about it, there's only six jobs in an entire television market area. Right, so, exactly. Not to detour on the world and business of news, I know we want to talk about pharmacy, but to give you a, a little bit of a taste, there are 210 designated market areas in the United States. Number one is New York, New York City, and number 210 is Glendive, Montana. So what you do in broadcasting is you go to those markets that have a thousand people in them yeah. and you make all your mistakes on live television there yeah. because not many people are seeing them. And then you work your way from market to market to market. Right. And then it's not just the market changes, but also the position changes. So you work your way up from reporter to news anchor, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So I was constantly on the move and I loved it. It was the best time in my life. Making those moves. Making those moves, feeling as if you're conquering the next step uh, in your career. Right. And I always said, for me, my personal goal was to uh, be in a top 10 market as a main anchor. Uh, and, and I did. I was in Atlanta, which is a top 10 market. Yeah. And I was the main morning anchor. So, wow. So once I did that, I felt like, okay, I did this. Right. What am I going to do next? What's, right. what's the second iteration of this career? Um, and that's when I, in 2012, started my own company. And I, it started off as just media training. And the onset of that was the advent of all of these talking heads. It was right, right around that time. All these talking heads were coming into local news stations as well as, of course, the cable news stations. And I realized that not many entrepreneurs had any knowledge of what they were walking into or the opportunity that was in front of them. The talking heads you would define as on Fox or CNN, the people coming on in different formats, but one of them is eight people screaming at each other for 10 minutes. <laughs> And some of the other ones are one or two relaxed people on the screen, probably with a green screen in back, maybe. Is that a newer phenomenon? Absolutely. So this was right around the time where, you know, cable news was around for quite some time. Right. Um, but, but when it comes down to local newscasts switching the way that they did business, yeah, right? So now, uh, for instance, I was at a Fox affiliate. At that, it was a Fox News affiliate. So it was own, the ownership group was Fox. Yeah. And they were one of the first ones that went towards that interview style in their local newscasts. Hmm. So I had the opportunity to interview... I would interview, for instance, local pharmacists, local people, local thought leaders in the healthcare industry. And being on that side of the coin, I realized, wow, there's some room here to, to work with these individuals <laughs> so that they can capitalize on the opportunity that's in front of them to speak to a million plus viewers in this three minute segment. And how do you synthesize and condense your top ideas your to one-liners. It's a skill that needs to happen naturally in a conversation. And it's difficult when you don't operate like this on a daily basis. Let me back up a second. What was before the talking heads? Was it interviews that you would go into places or people on the street? What would it look like before the talking heads? Just people not being on the screen with you or in the, in the interview? What's the difference? So if you were to look at a traditional newscast, let's say nightly news, for instance, yeah. um, you will see a reporter. The reporter will 
what we call in the industry tossed to a recorded package. In that package, they have video, they have people、oh, on screen talking.、Yeah. Those are called、yeah. sound bites. So、right. how do you how do you speak in sound bites? More of, sto- more of a story with right, right, fifteen right. sound bites put together, and so on.、Correct. And the talking heads is more of like, well, the viewers, the the listeners can't see this now, but you and I are on the split screen on the computer, and we're talking. So it's 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 different than a a news report. Right. Correct. Yeah. And then there are different nuances. So a live interview has different nuances than a taped interview. Uh, so it's training people on knowing what to expect and how to deal with questions that they don't have any privy to. So most journalists will not say, "Here are the questions I'm going to ask you," because that is unethical. <laughs>、um, so, so for for instance, how do you deal with that in a live setting when maybe、right. you're in a position where you're being put on the spot or you just don't know the answer? Uh, right. How do you get through that moment gracefully? So, so initially, I, I started off doing media training for for entrepreneurs and leaders because、yeah. we were starting to bring in more entrepreneurs,、um, local uh, gynecologists or、um, let's say local pharmacists. I, I interviewed yeah, local、right. pharmacists on air on Fox.、Um, people、yeah. from different walks of life. Who are leaders、yeah. in their industry to come and and be on the news because they had a newsworthy story pitch, which we could talk about another time. But so initially, I was doing media training, and then because of where we were in the world, social media just took off, and people were yeah, starting、right. to put together videos for their social media presence,、for、and、themselves. even beyond that, of just now we expect video. Yeah. Right. Right, we we expect to be a part of your world by looking at you and hearing you and seeing your facial expressions and understanding who you are because we are able to do it virtually now because technology has reached us in that capacity. Yeah. So now we do business videos for people who couldn't see themselves in the news. Gotcha. They say when you start a business, you find out where. A need is, and arguably, maybe the better your business would be where greater or greatest need is. So let me ask you this, Michelle. You specialize in pharmacists. As an industry, are we just terrible? <gasps> I mean, is that where you saw the need? You saw the first of us pharmacists talking on the air, and you said, "Oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> going to be a millionaire." Oh, Mike! You know I love you, and I just met you <laughs> <laughs> because I speak the truth. <laughs> well, I think that what I'll say is I fell into pharmacy.、Um, I started working. I, I had a. I was one of the speakers at an entrepreneurial event.、Uh, there were pharmacists there. And after I talked about how to put together a video, or and also how to pitch your expertise to the media for free,、uh, they we started having conversations, and what developed into a friendship, and from there it kind of just took off. I think that what I respect most is how different our brains function. Right? I mean. When we started off saying you guys have your own language, you truly do. And I, if people can't see us on video right now, but what, what I'm doing with my hands is you guys talk at this high level because you're so smart. Oh, oh, <laughs> you are all oh, so stop, no, seriously. Stop. <laughs> you could pat yourself on the back now. You did it, <laughs> Michelle. The, the reason this is called the Business of Pharmacy podcast is because we're not allowed to go anywhere that talks about. Drug names or science because I'll just embarrass myself. So that's that's where it stops. At you calling me smart. That's as far as we go down the pharmacy aisle. <laughs> well, I I truly admire all those in your industry. You guys have such a expertise that needs to be unveiled to the general public. To、mm-hmm. be quite honest with you,、mm-hmm. I think that it's hidden, and there is such an opportunity there to showcase. What you guys have been doing for years, right? And, and to respect the schooling that you、right. have all gone through, yeah.、Um, so to answer your question, I think it's it's fun to bring my world into your world 
and see the end result. Pharmacists typically in their daily job have to be 100% correct all the time. You know, they always have to be 100% correct. Does that show up in interview when you're trying to have a pharmacist, let's say, be at the same level, and I'm not saying up or down, but let's just say at the same level of the viewer. Is that psychology showing up at all that they're analytical and, and they have to be 100%? And does that show up in a negative way that you have to overcome? I think that we have to pull back the information to remember who you're speaking to. Uh, so I think it's very easy to get into a space where I'm sure you get excited to talk about your own industry and the nuances of that. But is it falling flat and on deaf ears to people who don't live that life? So it is a skill on how to structure your thoughts to have it in headline form. And I'll t share with you two aspects of the way that that shows up. So when I am creating a script in regards to performance measures and how they're created and how they're calculated, I start off with having all of your details in there. And then I, I would work with the client, the pharmacist, and I share with them, okay, this is the initial piece of work review it. And now I'm going to break it down so that it is clear, concise, and conversational. I want you to review that. And they're shocked by how I have taken a thousand word quote unquote essay and shrunk it down to, I mean, I would shrink it down to about 300 words. Right. And I think that there is angst with so many people who are, who say, well, this word needs to be this word because it needs to be accurate. And my response is always, I come from journalism world where we live in black and white. And although no one is going to be physically harmed if we have an error, we are trained to synthesize these huge ideas and bring them down into a 30-second script. I mean, I, that's what I did. That it was my job day in and day out every single day as a journalist. And now I do that. But on the pharmacy side, I synthesize those big ideas yeah. to make sure that they're watchable on camera and that yeah. the words are married to visuals. So it is, it, it is an intricate process that I really enjoy because it pulls on that creative, creativity of, right. of writing that script down and then going through the process of editing it. And then I get that teacher rush because I'm able to share where I'm going with it with the client, the pharmacist. A couple thoughts. One is, it seems that the pharmacist that is a good community pharmacist might have a leg up on that because we're talking during the day to elderly people and maybe people that, you know, have just been out of the hospital and, you know, they don't need to hear a lot of information. You want to kind of give them the, the, just the nuts and bolts and, and stuff. So, I imagine some of that heady talk takes off possibly from pharmacists that are not dealing with, you know, little old ladies all day. And secondly is, I would hate to be a teacher. Like you said, teach. And I, I think you're teaching, but I think you're also coaching. And coaching, I like, I'm not a coach, but coaching, I would like better because you're always dealing, it seems, with something different. But I think I would be a bad teacher. Do you teach in the in any of the junior colleges or anything like that? I do. I do. I teach journalism, as a matter of fact. How do you like that versus working with an individual? It seems like it'd be boring. Your job as a journalist certainly was something different all the time. Do you get, do you get bored teaching? No. <laughs> That's not boring? No, because... First of all, I see teaching and coaching to be similar capacities because I view my job and my role as a as an instructor or as a professor to go well beyond the semester. I probably have put teaching into a bad position there because a good teacher is not just regurgitating information. So I've kind of used a bad definition, but I don't like to just regurgitate that information. I always cater everything that I do to the audience that I'm in front of. So 
Yes, I'm sure you do. And you've always had to. Correct, because the audience is always different. So what I mean by that is the curriculum that I have put together for journalism students, I tweak it so that I am forcing the level of the class to move forward. And every level of the class is different by semester. Likewise, with pharmacy clients, the way that they naturally communicate is different for every person. So that's where the coaching comes in. Uh, I, I ha- there are basic skill sets, but they all have to be tweaked to meet your specific needs. Yeah. I have people who literally, this is true story, they have a little um, index card in their pocket to refer to their notes on how to communicate basic ideas about, for instance, diabetes to a patient that walks into their pharmacy because they are so uncomfortable and rattled with that person-to-person interaction. So that client is going to be different on camera than, for instance, somebody like yourself who thrives off of communicating pharmacy ideas. I was dead wrong in my assessment that the average community pharmacist enjoys that conversation. That seems odd to me that somebody would be in that much of a stress to talk to someone in a community pharmacy. But you see it. I see it. So I live it. (laughs) Um, and, And that's why I think that Everybody has to be honest with their own their own things that they excel at and what they don't excel at and and really improve themselves. We could all be better at something, right? So and and what yeah. are you doing to improve your weaknesses? I mean, we all I'm sure we all could benefit from a coach in some aspect of life, yeah. right? Whether it's a physical trainer or a communication coach, et cetera. I know that my colloquial talk is sometimes just a mask of not remembering or knowing the more scientific terms behind things because I can mask it. And and if someone says, oh, you mean you're talking about such and such big scientific word? It's like, Oh yeah, but I'm just trying to I'm just trying to be approachable and keep it at everybody's level. But it's it's kind of a mask, but I enjoy the mask. Okay, M- Michelle, you're going to paint this pretty picture of what we're supposed to do. But I want to bring out like the 11 p.m. Michelle after she's had a couple of shots of tequila and I want to find out where do we really screw up on the news? Give me an example of the worst things that we could do answers that are too long because it goes back to that being a perfectionist and very nuanced with the accuracy of your answer. And you could dovetail into many different tangents. And that does not work for business videos or for broadcasts, live broadcasts, if you're using social media in your own pharmacy. Um, People need to hear headline information specifically on in broadcast form when you're talking about the the biggest errors in news um and but likewise that really does bleed into the content that you produce on a daily basis for yourself you know and i think that you could easily lose people when the answers become a little too intricate now with that said it depends on who your audience is Um, But there are always ways to, no matter who you're talking to, to have clear, concise, and conversational language in there so that you continue to have engagement. Because that's the other thing. You could talk for, you could talk for a minute, but if you're not engaging in that minute, no one's listening and hearing you. Uh, So those are certain skills that you need to be aware of when you're trying to do business videos or a podcast, for instance. I once heard that journalists that are writing a story use what the upside down triangle or right side up triangle or something like that, where unlike a- Inverted pyramid. Inverted pyramid. That's it. That's it. If you want to get all technical about it. (laughs) (laughs) That master's coming through. (laughs) Where in case the editor wants to cut off the story. You've told the most important part first, and then you bring it down with more detail. And by the bottom, you're talking about, you know, the guy's shoe size and things like that. And then if the editor cuts it halfway, you haven't lost the story like a speech because you have this beginning and then huge ending and so on. Is 
the news anything like that and is the clear, concise, and conversational part, is that anything like that or is it different in speech? I think it's different in speech and here's why. In traditional newscasts, engagement is measured by ratings. We all get daily ratings from for the newscast. In the realm in which you're using business videos, the measure is by engagement. So there are different ways to engage and you have to do so in the first three seconds of being on video. The first three seconds, what are you going to say? What are the words out of your mouth? The very first words that are gonna engage your audience and have them say, hey, I wanna stop scrolling or hey, I wanna listen to the rest of whatever this guy has to say, right? So whether that's video for social media or whether that's video that you're housing on your website or whether that's Mm. video that you're producing for internal use in an educational series, no matter what it is, why are you doing it? And why are you spending so much money to do it if no one's going to listen to you? Yeah. So the very first aspect is always having that engagement. And, and you, could, you could see that amongst all of the pharmacy videos that I put together. The formula, if you will, is to have engagement, then introduce your content, then the meat and potatoes of your content, and then to reiterate the headline of the content and then leaving people with a way to what, you know, what we say call to action if they need something else, right? Um, that in and of itself, just those five steps is a great exercise on how to synthesize your thoughts to make them as clear, concise, and conversational as possible because you put it into that paradigm And then from there, then you edit it to make sure you're truly talking to your audience. Who is your audience? Are they male? Are they female? Are they a certain age group? Um, Are there certain patients that are only taking um, medication for diabetes? Or are we talking about immunization? So all of those things is the next layer of how you would edit that content together. The three-second pizzazz, then... Then you're going into a an introduction. An introduction of some sort of, of what are we talking about over the next three minutes or so, whatever your video is. Not hitting the three points, for example, but nope. just saying what they're about. Then number three is hitting the three points or whatever. Number four is a summary similar to that number two-step introduction. And number five is not so much pizzazz again, but it's the call to action. Correct. You nailed it. And if people, if there's anything that I could leave your audience with, it's that structure of how to really use that paradigm to get their thoughts on paper before a podcast, before a video, um, or before some more highly produced content that may use animation or or footage. I think where I fail is I think, well, I, I haven't thought about it that much, but you start to think that things are different. Well, like this is an internal video and people are on my website so I can I can just get into something and not do all the steps, you know, skip maybe step one and maybe skip step five or, you know, th- this is a corporate setting and so I don't want to do this, I'm going to do this. But it sounds like you always do this. Is that right? I have written speeches for CEOs of companies. I have trained the highest C-suite level people in several industries. And I always, emphasis on always, give the same structure. And they are always amazed at how quickly they could get through their content using this structure, even though it's in front of people who... They're going to say, Michelle, I, they already know I'm the CEO of the company and I'm talking to the employees. I don't need to introduce myself again. And I said, you're right. You don't need to say your name, but you do need to say why you're on stage. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, for me, the way I explain it is you're telling a story. That would be like step two, sort of? Correct. Okay. So they're still going to go through engagement. They're still going to go through an introduction. They're still going to go through meat and potatoes. They're still going to go through that conclusion that wraps it all up for a third time. And they're still going to tell people why 
they are there for them and how they can get in contact with them. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what stage you're on, that's, that is the paradigm. Even when I write scripts and I, and depending on how we're going to tell a story, I still use that to have engagement in the video. The key word is always engagement. I go to some of these dog and pony shows that the wholesalers that they have for the annual something or other. And these executives, they are terrible. These people are terrible. I mean, they suck big time. And I'm not saying I do any better in the lights and all that stuff. Why are they so terrible? They're awful. A marketing executive, I you know, know, for this big <laughs> Um, industrial thing and they suck you know they're up there and they're staring at this teleprompter and then and then they go right and stare at this one and they've got these bad moves and they're just terrible and i'm wondering if they give any advice to them and like i say i'd probably do the same thing with the with the lights coming down i'm not putting myself on a higher level i'm just saying they suck Listen, that's why I have a job. <laughs> I, know. I know. That's why I love this. Well, you got to get out more. Hey, listen, I will give all my contact information at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I firmly believe that if you have just a little bit of coaching prior to these appearances, that it makes all the difference in the world. And that's why we started off saying in this conversation that we could all be better at something. And when you realize what that something is, instead of sitting on your laurels, go after it and, and be better, right? I mean, I know one of my weaknesses is technology. And so now I have people who help me with technology, you know? Yeah. So it, it's, about, it's about learning yourself and who you are as a person and doing better. It's like they interview these people and they know that once a year or let's say four times a year, they're going to be up on stage. It seems like that should be part of the interview process for the job to see if they have stage presence. I, I absolutely agree with you. And a lot of chief marketing officers have never had to do a training session where they're put to the task and they're put on the spot uh, to do some public speaking. But I offer this always as a challenge. If you are thinking about the idea of going through a communication course or thinking about doing business videos, etc., what I always say is you, you may not need someone to help you sculpt your ideas to the best of your ability. You may already have that skill and not know it. So I always say, pull up your phone, press record, have no delay, and in 30 seconds or less, can you clearly, concisely, and conversationally express your ideas with engagement, that introduction, the meat and potatoes, and then the exit, and be, and then press stop, look at it, and see your facial expressions. Are you saying the words, um, and likes, and uh, all throughout that? Are you uh, halting your ideas? So you do your own assessment, and if you don't like what you see... What does that mean, halting ideas? Well, if you're pausing too much to the point where you're losing your audience. Well, I do that all the time, but I can cut all that out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the, the beauty of editing. But we don't live in that world anymore, my friend. It is a live world. <laughs> if you're the top banana of one of these huge companies, do you let your executive loose on stage and let them freeform talk with with outlines or... Is it all red because you've got 5,000 people out there and, and you're, you'll be damned if they're going to say something wrong and screw up something? So to answer that, it's by the person, right? And how much trust that executive has with their employee on stage. Um, and I think that that falls back on that person's on stage, his or her experience with speaking to a large group because it is very easy to get up there thinking, I'm going to rock this. And you get up there and the lights go on and then you do not. You forget the sequence or the outline of what you're going to say and you freeze. So I think that there are different fail-safes you could put in place to help that speaker along. Oh, that's a good idea. A fail-safe. 
no one knows what they're going to do. It's like putting our hero soldiers, you know, out in the field and they think they're going to be able to do this, but they freeze. But you never get to really experience that. And that's like speaking. You don't get to test it unless you could build an audience from 10, 100, 150, 300 and, and move up. But you don't get that. You go from three people and your imagination confidence to all of a sudden 5,000. But that's where that fail safe comes through, right? Right. And, and the trainings. I mean, there are plenty of people who um, have guided their CEOs to get, hey, you know, maybe we should just call Michelle and just come in for a little bit. And that's their way of giving them a little bit of training without saying to their boss, hey, you need a little bit of training, right? <laughs> How do you do that? That's like someone coming to me and saying, uh, Hey, I want you to meet this dietitian. <laughs> you know what? That that is a very good comparison um, because immediately you're saying, "I've been doing this for 30 years. Why do I need X, Y, Z to come and talk to me about something I've been doing?" Um, so that's yeah. why I I humbly talk to those clients and say, "You do X, Y, Z industry. You do it every single day. I'm not here to to tell you how to do that." Here's what I do. I've done it every single day. So we're going to combine our worlds right now and learn from each other. People don't fall for that. They know that they they know that someone sicked you on them. Yeah, but then they're probably thinking, why? Hmm, why? So they better do why it. Mich- Maybe I do need a little bit of assistance. And hey, she's already in my office. We already paid her, so <laughs> I might as yeah, well listen to you her. Might as, you might as well. You might as well do right. it right. It's like an intervention. It is a little bit. It is a little bit like an intervention. I'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're sitting on my couch. Once they know that they don't, they're not responsible for putting together the words that they're going to say. They feel the load lifted off their shoulders. So they're like, oh, wait a minute, you're going to tell me exactly what I need to say and how I'm going to say it? Done. Give me an hour of your time and here you go. Everything's... You're not just coming in and telling them to like do better and then it's like, now I got to remember all that stuff. You're like helping them. I mean, I'm literally creating the content, the words that they say, and then teaching them how to say it to be that engagement factor. Would there ever be a, really a case like that where someone calls you in? I can see the CEO calling you in for anybody else, but are there actually times when you've been called in like secretly and then for the CEO? Yeah. I mean, the quick answer is absolutely really? 100% yes. 100%. Like, like and I what? think that. Like what executive, like the marketing department brings you in and, and, and you're going to have a meeting Absolutely. with the CEO? Absolutely. The global communications director <laughs> will call me in and say, and now think about that. This is a person who's in charge of a global company who, after 30 years of being in the business, needs a reboot of how they go about speaking in front of the public. It is not an easy thing to step in front of a live camera, to step in front of a live audience, or to be with you right now because we live in a society where we need to be able to produce our ideas and I keep saying it clearly, concisely, and conversationally and at a moment's notice. And if you're not able to do that in an engaging way, you're in trouble. (laughs) Right? The world is going to eat you up and spit you out. One of the reasons I said that I had tried to have a relationship with the local news besides being fun and also being good for business is one of my thoughts has always been that I've had the times where reporters have come in and tried to shove the microphone on your face about either pricing or something. And how do you in a soundbite get across something like PBMs owning discount cards and forcing you to a gag clause and all that kind of stuff. So you're kind of at their, their mercy. So one of the reasons that I've tried to have a relationship with the news and tried to be a source for them is so they don't bite the hand that feeds them. Me being the, what am I, the hand, I guess, that occasionally gives them stories or I'm in there for their quick soundbite or something like that, that they'll know that if they come with any kind of those stories that they may not have access to me so much in the future. Is that a good plan? Absolutely. It's a great strategy to have a relationship with a health reporter 
who may need to come and talk to you about flu immunizations. I mean, that's not going to get controversial. But if you start talking about new policy changes that legislation is considering, that could become confrontational, yeah. depending on your ideology. Uh, so I think that that's a great strategy. I think that it's an underused strategy for many independent pharmacists. I think that the idea of getting yourself out there as a thought leader in this capacity, they don't realize that it, I mean, it is free to be a part of the news, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't get no. paid for those appearances, no. you know, and it's a, it, and, and likewise, you do not have to pay them right. to have your voice yeah. heard. So it is, it is a very good avenue to be considered a thought leader in your space. I have done many trainings with people who work on Capitol Hill for um, healthcare companies. And what they're trying to do is be able to do exactly what you just said of how do you in 30 seconds or less, and if you're doing a newscast, it has to be 10 seconds or less, how do you clearly, concisely and conversationally, how do you get that idea across about PBMs, about everything that's going on regarding the changes of what is in store for for Americans, yeah. uh, it's it's hard to understand. So you so the answer to that is prep. Yeah, uh, so you need to have, and I'm not saying a canned response by any means, but you need to have a, a a skeleton of what your message is. If you were to be asked that on on the steps of, of any le legislative body, yeah. I mean, literally, I was brought in one time to train their um, head of government affairs uh, and her team on what to do if reporters were outside of um, a, a boardroom or whatever. And as soon as they exited, if a camera was thrown in, in their face with a microphone asking questions, that was the premise of, of the session. And it's something that you really do need to be ready for. Being a source for the local news is really a nice opening that pharmacists have because there's a few reasons. One is that when the news wants a story, first of all, from the news side, I think they want something that's timely. And so they want to be able to talk to someone maybe in an hour or two versus a day or two. They usually want something that's local. They want to say, this is Mike from Grand Rapids versus, you know, Joe from wherever. Um, then they have very slim pickings on who they can use on the news. A few reasons. One is the average pharmacist probably is busy and doesn't have the time they think for it. Two, because they don't trust the news reporter. Three would be that sort of by definition, the pharmacist may not enjoy the news because we've talked about the 100% certainty and so on. They certainly don't get 100% certainty being on the news. I found it very easy, especially being a community pharmacist owning my own store, very, very easy to get on the news if desired. There is a 100% guaranteed sweet spot for individuals like yourself that are pharmacy owners and pharmacists who do not have to report to anybody else. So I'm going to take it from the reporter perspective. I already know if I have a story that I need to develop as a day turn, so I get the story at 9.30 and it needs to be a part of the noon, the 4, the 5, the 6 p.m. newscasts, I do not have time to go around in circles and to fi finally end up in a PR department at CVS, Rite Aid, insert chain pharmacy here. I am immediately looking for an independent pharmacist, a community pharmacist that owns their own shop that can speak to me on camera, not in three hours, not in two hours, maybe in the next 15 minutes. So you absolutely have um, geared in on something that is super useful as a, as a marketing tool, as an advertising tool for yourself by being that thought leader and the go-to, because once you're the go-to in a newsroom, um, I'll give you some inside juice here. Here's what happens in the newsroom. When you are a guest on a, a newscast, or if you are in a taped interview, which we would call a field interview, 
after the newscast, in our post-production meeting, literally it goes like this. The anchors are in that meeting, the executive producer of the show, the show producer, the writers, everybody who is involved, the editors, sometimes the photographers. We all go around the table and we say, what'd you think? Did Mike do well? Did he talk in sound bites? Engaging? What do you think? You like him? Yes. Do you like him? Yes. Do you like him? No. Do you like him? Yes. Literally, you get voted on around the table. And if you have enough yeses, you go in the yes pile. And that yes pile gives you access for interviews for years to come. You go into a special folder that says, hey, Mike is a pharmacist local. He doesn't have to deal with any uh, PR from chain pharmacy. Go to him with any healthcare question that you have when it comes to, to flu season, et cetera, et cetera. You go into a list that sits at the assignment desk and you are, from that point on, the go-to person. Conversely, if you do not do well and you get more no's in that meeting than yeses, you will never be asked back again. And I think after going through that experience on the broadcast side, it made me even more excited about the responsibility to teach people how to do a news interview because it really is that simple. You're, it's a yes or it's a no, and you only get one shot. One practice I've been doing lately is because I mean, anytime the reporter comes in the store, it's a pain. I got I to gotta say, don't take a picture of that, and this person doesn't want to be in the news, and my staff would duck down and things like that. And I've always thought that somebody in studio looks cooler, like they've been invited into the studio, you know, they're, they're top notch and so on. So what I tell the reporters now is, hey, um, if it's okay with you, I'll swing by the studio. And I like doing it because I think I look cool being there. Do you think that's good? Absolutely. It's easier for them time-wise there's better lighting. It's a controlled studio atmosphere. The audio is going to be better. Your name and the pharmacy name that pops up on camera. You know, everybody knows who you are and the pharmacy that you own. That, that's fantastic. And take that one appearance and think about how you could use it down the road for yourself and for the benefit of your pharmacy. You could now take that appearance and now sprinkle it across your social media platforms and, and, and pull your own sound bites from that one interview to show people uh, maybe it feeds a month worth of content for you as a thought leader in the studio. Let me ask this. Asking for a friend. Uh-oh. <laughs> How does someone ever crack into the national news? Like to like to have it be a talking head for CNN on, let's say, pharmacy. How does that? How does that ever happen? Sure. So there are bookers for each show. Um, so, for instance, CNN New Day, their their morning program. There is a booker for mm -hmm. that. So what I would tell you to do, not me. Oh, Whomever. <laughs> yeah, come on. If this is of your interest, seriously, though, this I is a great question, that. though. So if you feel like you're at that level because you have the local news experience, there are two things that you can do if you're doing mm. this for yourself. And one of those is to scour LinkedIn for titles that say show booker, show booker, show scheduler. Um, and connect with those people. When you're connecting with those people, the second thing you'll need is a reel. Gotcha. You need a reel to show, I've done this before. I know you're afraid I'm a new face, so here's what I look like and sound like on camera. If you have not garnered local news experience yet, you could still put together that reel with the business videos that you've done for yourself. However, they will take note of whether or not you've done it in a news capacity, something that you are not in control of the parameters because, hello, we live in an editing space. They don't want you, they don't want to see the edited you. They want to see the real you. So, so you need that real. I used to do a talk about how you could be a part of the news tomorrow for free. And part of that talk is just brainstorming different hot topics that are in current events right now. 
And if you're wondering how to cultivate that own your own list, go on Twitter, see what's trending. I mean, it's not difficult nowadays. And and shocking, news producers are doing the same thing. Right. That's how we get our story ideas to go into the editorial meeting. Yeah, they're doing the same thing. And it is incumbent upon the journalist in those meetings to have new, exclusive, or breaking news stories to pitch every single day. It's a hard job. It's it's extremely difficult. So if you have someone like a pharmacist in the area, Mike, I wish that you were in the markets that I was working in because just knowing that I have access to you, I could call you up and be like, hey, what's trending in your industry that I may not know about? Yeah. And maybe there's a way that I can build that into a story. All right, Michelle, listen, there's two people listening to this. All right. There's the person that is fascinated like I am hearing your stories and engaging in this conversation, but they just want to learn more about you from the outside. They want to peer in, maybe see some things, maybe get in a newsletter, things like that. What does that person do? So go to my website, uh, michelleberto.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, B as in boy, U-R, D as in David, O as in Oscar, michelleberto.com. And you could look at the stuff that I'm doing there. Also, I do a weekly LinkedIn Live I've been blessed with being part of the, their beta group on their nice. their live videos. And I do a weekly video with them live and we talk about the healthcare space. They'll find that on your website. Yes. And then I'll put that on my website and um, contact information. Hey, listen, pick up the phone and call me or text me because I am an open book. Second question. Yes. Who is your best customer right now? What are you looking for? Who do you wish would call you like today and say, I want to do business with you. I've stumbled upon Pharmacy World and I really do enjoy it because of the need to synthesize these ideas to make them clear and concise. And I think that it falls upon my journalism side. I feel a sense of responsibility to clarify some of the language and the perceptions upon pharmacists in this day and age. And it's such a uh, an unchartered space. So to answer your question, pharmacy organizations, um, pharmacy owners like yourself. A single store owner or usually more like a chain? I, I mean, I do work with chains, but I love working with independent owners too. You have things in your business model that can help an individual that calls you and wants to improve something. Correct. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.